All right, we're going to get into the Word of the Lord this morning. This is part number uh, four on the series entitled Dwell. And so we're going to uh, continue to uh, go through this today. Well, let me just start off here. On week number one, Chris Lasbach started it off on week number one. And, and it's talked about in the beginning from Genesis chapter one and verse one, how it's God. It has always been from the very beginning. God is a loving God, always has been a loving God, always will be a loving God. But he's loving and relational. And he, de- he desires a relationship with his created beings, humanity, and, 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 and to continually dwell with us. In week number two, we, we looked at humanity and we found out and discovered from the Genesis chapter two that we're created in the image of God. We were created with a sacred value, a sacred reflection, as well as a sacred purpose. And then we get into Genesis chapter three where God had Adam and Eve in the garden, had given them dominion over all the earth. And just a few verses later, the serpent, in, uh, Satan in the form of the serpent appears to them and they are tempted. They yield to the temptation and the dwell that God desires with his people and the authority that God had given his people to rule and to reign on the earth was damaged from that moment on as a result of sin entering into the world. So we're going to pick up there today and, and look into the word of God and discover that sin that entered in the garden, that that has been, that has entered, but also Jesus did it took care of it, he did away with it, and we're going to give an explanation to that today from the Word of God. But I just want to take a moment and look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Genesis 3 and verse 15. It says, Then the Lord placed the man in the garden of the Eden to tend and to watch over it, to tend and to watch over it. So we need to recognize uh, that, that, that God put us in here to tend and to watch over it. That's our responsibility. And, and so we need to realize that, as, that that is where God placed us. But Adam and Eve, they transgressed and sin entered into the world as a result of, of that particular transgressions of Adam and Eve. So we want to uh, be sure that we recognize the, the goodness of God, the goodness of God, and to recognize that as a result of that sin in Genesis chapter 3, and in verse 15, it says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Hostility between you and the woman. And so this is a, a, a prophecy here, really, of the incarnation, a prophecy of the virgin birth. And it's the first, it's God's first promise of incarnation, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And so we're talking about sin being, sin entered, but now we're, today we want to focus on how sin is removed, and we want to really lay a foundation for that. So, so uh, keep your ears open and your heart receptive, because what we're laying here is a foundation for for each one of us to be able to explain to the people that ask, what what happened? What happened? If God's a loving God and and God is good and and, uh, people have been created in the likeness of God, we are are created with a a sacred image, with a sacred purpose and sacred value, then, then why all the mess? You know, then, then we realize, well, it was, it, was, it was 
destroyed by sin, but Jesus came to redeem us. He rewrote the story and everything has changed. That's, that's not just a, a theological statement, but that is to be a practical statement. We are to be living that out, that he rewrote my story. He rewrote your story and everything has changed. We want to lay a foundation so you really know uh, why everything has changed, why you can believe that and why you can fully anticipate by faith to experience that in your life. Some people say, is it really that important that uh, the virgin birth, is it really that important? Is it crucial? Uh, yes, it is. It's crucial to everything that the word of God teaches and, and when we reject the virgin birth, it's to reject Christ's deity, and it's rejecting his deity is really, we are, we are rejecting the accuracy and the authority of Scripture. So just taking a few moments here, when he says, I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, and, and you will strike his heel. So uh, I'm going to... Put it to you this way. Just going to give you four statements here from Genesis 3.15. Number one, I will put hostility between you and the woman. So it's between Satan and the woman. Hostility. Hostility. We still, to this day, there's a history of hostility and abuse of women proves this to be true. The disrespect and, 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 and the hostility toward women. Number two, it says, hostility between your seed and her seed. Satan's seed there is referring to the ungenerated human race. Ungenerated human race. The woman's seed is referring to Christ. To Christ. And we know that Christ was, uh, he was being pursued by the enemy, by, by religious leaders, un until the day that he went to the cross. And so uh, we can also, so it shouldn't be a surprise to us when we find, when we uh, say, well, gee, there's so much hostility towards the church. There's hostility towards me as a Christian in my workplace, in my classroom, in, in, in my college. You know, there's such hostility. Why? Well, it's the result of sin entering into the world. And so we need to be wise to that. And we need to recognize that, yes, sin has entered into the world. But what has been done about that? Well, Jesus did a lot on our behalf, and we want to tap into that. Now, statement number three it says, the seed of the woman. We know that woman has no seed. So, uh, so uh, the seed in regeneration is of man. So what is this talking about? Well, here's where we have the prophecy that the woman shall give birth to a child independent of natural generation, and she is to, will be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that is called the seed of the woman, the incarnation, the virgin birth. And it's, it's not just something to celebrate at Christmas time. This is something we need to understand and, and the reason behind it. Then the statement number four, and he shall bruise your head, the head of Satan, he shall bruise your head. The seed of the woman is going to bruise Satan's head. In, Orient, in, in all Oriental languages, bruising the head means breaking the lordship of a ruler. Breaking the lordship of a ruler. And we know that Jesus broke Satan's lordship by defeating him and stripping him of all his authority. We have scriptures in the New Testament. And we'll look at some of those as we move on here this morning. So, this is a prophecy of Jesus coming into the world. The Lamb of God, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. 
In the meantime, God set up a sacrificial system until the fullness of time. In Galatians chapter 4, it talks about in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Until the fullness of time, there was a sacrificial system put in place under the Levitical law. And under that sacrificial system, you had to observe the days of atonement and you would bring a lamb to the priest and the lamb would be inspected for perfection. And when that perfect lamb was, was when, when perfection was satisfied, that lamb would be, would, the, the blood of that lamb would be shed to atone for your sins. Atonement means to cover over. So uh, under the sacrificial, uh, sacrificial system, there was a, a covering over of our sin. That's why it had to be repeated every year on the day of atonement. Under the new covenant, we have forgiveness of sin. Jesus shed his blood once and for all. And so we have a sacrificial system. And so we see from the sacrificial system that sin is costly, that sin brings death. And under the sacrificial system, a sacrifice must be perfect. It must be perfect. And that God's standard was always perfection. And, and it was one, under the sacrificial system, there was one sacrifice for one sin. Now we enter Jesus. We enter Jesus. We fast forward here. Jesus gave his life. He died for us. And he was the perfect sacrifice. He was virgin born. And... His sacrifice was one sacrifice for all sin. One sacrifice for all sin. So Jesus did it. How then can we explain exactly what took place? Well, again, humanity is lost. We're separated from God because of our sin. And our only hope of forgiveness for, uh, was for someone completely innocent of any wrongdoing to take all the punishment for our crime. To take all the punishment for our crime. And, and that perfect life and that perfect love were such perfect life and perfect love were impossible from any human perspective, from any, for any human to achieve. And so God did it for us in sending his son, Jesus Christ, for us. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the word of debt, the record, excuse me, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The legal demands for justice. Jesus took care of it on our behalf. Under the sacrificial system, the lamb, the perfect lamb, had to be offered and to be sacrificed, and it had to be repeated year after year. That's why there remained a consciousness of sin. 
In Hebrews, it talks about that and how under the new covenant, we have Jesus shedding his blood once and for all. And when we accept that, we, can, we grow into a place of grace and faith where there's no more a consciousness of sin. We don't have a sin consciousness. We are now to have a right relationship consciousness, a dwelling consciousness, recognizing that, that we're, we're dwelling in him and he is dwelling in us. And so canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. You can almost picture it like a courtroom scene. You know, you're, 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 uh, you've been pronounced guilty and now this is your day in court and you, you, you go into court. God is the judge. Jesus is your advocate. Things are looking pretty good already, aren't they? And the prosecuting attorney is the enemy, the devil, Satan, whatever you want to call him, the serpent, the accuser of the brethren. Be a good title for him. The accuser of the brethren, Satan. And then you're in this legal courtroom and the accuser of the brethren, Satan, is, is, is railing all these accusations out in the courtroom the pro, as a prosecuting attorney, re, reminding everybody, the jury in there and, and, and the judge and your, your defense attorney, reminding them all of all the guilt, all the reasons you are guilty and punishment needs to be doled out upon you. But the good news is, is that Jesus Christ, is, as your defense attorney, paid the price for you. The judge might even agree that, yes, you were guilty, but Jesus, the advocate, ever seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for you, he's interceding for you, and he paid your penalty. And you are now, even though you were guilty, you are now pronounced free and innocent, you can go free because the demand of justice has been paid through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Is that not good news? Sin has been removed. It's been taken care of. So when you come across verses like this, don't, don't just read over them, but just take time and reflect it. It says, I'm going to read it again. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses, meaning you were guilty, you were guilty. And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. The ultimate pardon. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it, to the cross, nailing it to the cross. Then in Romans chapter four, excuse, excuse me, Romans chapter three, verse 23 and 24. It says, for all have sinned and fall short. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. Glorious standard. Next verse, 24. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. God declares this. God declared that we are righteous. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of sin. Jesus rewrote our story. We're no longer guilty. We're no longer doomed for a destiny being separated from God because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And as a result of that, all humanity being born into sin. 
We have been redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We are justified. The word justification, just let me give you uh, some clarity to it. The word justification really means a public declaration that based on evidence, a public declaration that based on evidence, a person has been declared righteous. So on the evidence of the death of the virgin birth, then the death on the cross and the burial, and then the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a result of that, we have evidence, and because of that evidence, we have been declared righteous in Jesus' name. So we have been justified, or we are made right. The word righteous means perfectly measuring up to God's standard. You hear the word righteous, righteousness quite often when you're, when you're reading the scriptures. And so recognize that you have been justified, a public declaration based upon evidence. What's the evidence? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that separates Christianity, our faith in God, it separates Christianity from all other religions of the world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that evidence, is, is, and because of that, we are declared righteous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, For God made Christ, God made Christ who never sinned, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin that we could be made right with God through Christ. I refer to that particular scripture as the greatest exchange that ever took place. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, virgin born, tempted in all ways as we are, but did not sin. He was found without sin, therefore he was the perfect Lamb of God, as, 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 as John declared, says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was that perfect Lamb of God, and through him our sin has been forgiven. Now I want to invite you to, uh, to follow along in Romans chapter 3, in verse 21 through 31, I want to wrap it up with this. There's so many scriptures we could uh, use in this area, but I need to narrow it down. So I have it here in Romans chapter 3, verse 21. The, Paul's, you know, the, the letter to the church at Rome, is, 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 it, almost, it reads like a lawyer's, from a legal standpoint of how we are forgiven, and why we are forgiven, contrasting the old covenant with the new covenant, how the new is better than the old. Under the old, there's still a remembrance of sin. Under the new, there's no more consciousness of sin. And, and through Jesus Christ, we want to come to a place of faith in Christ where we're not walking around feeling like, uh, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm just so unworthy. I, there's too many Christians have an unworthiness feeling about them, an attitude about them, and an countenance about them. And it is, we're not unworthy. We, were, we, we have been created in God's image with sacred value and a sacred reflection and a sacred purpose. There's nothing unworthy about God's creation, about God's created uh, beings. And we are his humanity. We are humanity and we were created by God and we are to reflect that sacred reflection and, and, and to be walking in the fullness of that sacred purpose. So here in Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 31, 
It says, for everyone, excuse me, I'm sorry, 23, verse 21, but now, but now, this is a conjunction here, we're, we're changing. You know, as he's talking about it earlier, it says that we were all born in sin, there's none righteous, no, not one. But now, I would say, but now, we could say it like this, but now sin has been removed. Sin's out of the picture. It's, it's been taken care of. The price has been paid. Now, here's where religious people start putting the brakes on and they, part, you know, they start, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't tell me that sin has been removed and people are still sinning. I see what they're doing. I see what they're not doing. And, 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 and I like to say to people, I get, yeah, and I can't see what you're doing. I can see what you're doing and you're not doing. I'm not concerned about that. I'm concerned about what you're thinking. And so don't, don't, don't be judging sin by what is happening, what people are doing or not doing. It's, it's just as sinful to have wrong attitudes and judgments towards people, so just drop it. You're not in a place of judgment. Jesus Christ is our advocate. Jesus Christ is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, ever making intercessions for the saint. And Satan is the accuser of the brethren that keeps accusing, keeps accusing, keeps accusing. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You had this thought. You did this. You thought this. You judged this. And he keeps accusing. And he keeps accusing. And, and, and uh, the advocate, Jesus, our, our uh, intercessor, Jesus, he's, he's like, uh, you know, he's, he's, your, he's your attorney. You say, no, no, they're forgiven. They're forgiven. I paid the price for that. I paid the penalty. They're good. They are justified. They are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So anyway, I digress. Verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be right, to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. That's why the but now, you know, we're no longer under law. We're now under the dispensation of the grace of God. So he's shown us a way. He, he made the way. He's shown us a way to be made right with him by keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. And we are, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness or grace, declares that we are righteous. Now, who declared us to be righteous? Who? God declared us to be righteous as a result of the work of Jesus Christ. So I think if God declared you righteous, that makes you righteous, even though you don't think you're righteous. If God declared you righteous, you're righteous. You're in right standing with him. God declared it. And who are you or anyone else to declare something contrary to that? So God, yet God with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. Uh, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? You believe in Jesus, then this is true for you. You have been declared in right standing with God. Verse 27, can we boast them that we have done anything to, to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith, not only by, and through faith and not by obeying the law. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, when we have faith, in fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Your faith in Jesus brings you into a place of fulfillment of the law. So here uh, in these verses, it reveals that our justification, number one, our justification being made right with God is by grace. We have that in verse 21 through 24, especially verse 24. It says, yet with undeserved kindness, yet with grace, undeserved kindness, he declares that we are righteous. Number two, this justification is revealed by the shed blood of, of Jesus Christ, verse 25 and verse 26. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. When you believe that Jesus shed his blood, he died at Calvary's cross. You believe this, and by the grace of God. And then number three... Justification is revealed to us and, 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 and becomes reality for us by faith in believing it. Verse 27 and verse, verse 27 and 28. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. I like that word, your acquittal. You've been acquitted. Yes, you were guilty, but you've been acquitted. You've been pardoned. You're free. You're free. Now, I can, uh, I can almost sense that you're hearing what I'm saying, but you're going, yeah, but. There's entirely too many yeah, buts coming back at me. <laughs> yeah, but what? Yeah, but I forget about it. This is God's standard. God is a supreme judge. Your acquittal is based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. Do you believe he died at the cross for you? Do you believe he shed his blood for the remission of your sin? Do you believe that God has been gracious toward you? You believe that. 
then, uh, then walk in that. Practice accepting that and walking in that and see yourself as having that sacred value, that sacred reflection and that sacred purpose that God has brought you into. And, and you are, you're walking in this by faith. It's by faith. Verse 27, uh, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith so that we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. By faith, I believe the written word of God. By faith, I believe that God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes on him would not perish but have everlasting life. Do we believe that today? It's not just a memory verse. It's reality. God loves you. God's desire from beginning to end as a relational God, his desire is to dwell among us, to dwell with us, for us to abide in him, to dwell in him. That relationship, and, and that relationship is so powerful and it's so freeing that is why the enemy opposes it. That's why that hostility from the enemy just it, it continues to be ramped up. But we have to continue to, to tamp it down by saying, no, by the grace of God, I have been set free. By the grace of God, I am forgiven. By the grace of God, I have been justified. By the grace of God, I am acquitted. By the grace of God, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to wallow around in that guilt and that condemnation. The hostility keeps coming against me, but I keep rising above it. I tamp it down in the name of Jesus and it, because I have faith in God that he loves me. I'm his creation. He loves me. He, he, and and uh, he is for me. It says, we are made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law. See, when the enemy comes at us with that hostility, with guilt and condemnation, reminding us of, of, of judgmental thoughts and attitudes that we're wrestling with, reminding us of, of deeds we have done or things that we've said or things we haven't done that we should have done. However, he's, whatever hostility he's bringing against us, human, human nature, when that hostility comes against us, we want to rectify it by doing something. Well, I'll compensate for, for that by doing more of this or making a promise that I'll do more of this. That's law. That's law. That's not how we overcome the hostility. That's not how we overcome the attacks of the enemy. That's not how we uh, enter into spiritual warfare. We engage in spiritual warfare by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Spiritual warfare is not so much of a frenzic activity and getting all hyped up and kicking the devil in the butt or however you want to think of spiritual warfare. It's more of a what do I believe in and who am I, who am I worshiping and who am I looking to? Reminding myself, no, God is my God. Jesus is my defense attorney. I have been acquitted. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's believing that, thanking God for it, and worshiping him, and believing that it's true, and practice walking in it, in Jesus' name. Amen. There's times to go after it in prayer. There's times to get after it in intercessory prayer, praying in the spirit, praying in tongues. There's, there's, there's a time and a place for everything, but way too much of it is a works mentality that I need to work myself into something. I need to work myself in and persuade and be persuaded that, uh, that, that God is for me, that God is for me. I shared this before, but I remember listening 
uh, uh, to a minister uh, sharing one time how he was driving to a place to a meeting. It was an itinerant minister, and he was driving for like five or six hours. And talking about he was praying in the spirit the whole way, praying in the spirit the whole way, and praying in the spirit. And he got there and had his service, and I forget exactly what. There's some type of there was a miracle took place, and thank God for the miracle. Thank God for the person that received her healing. And, uh, but he was basically saying, because I did all this praying, God healed this person. And I was listening to this and listening to this, thinking that's really good. And then I was starting to get excited. And then I heard the Holy Spirit, like on the inside, it wasn't an audible voice, but I just heard just like, that's not why I healed her. I healed her because of Jesus Christ. Amen. It wasn't his works of praying all those hours. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for hours if that's what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, but don't get yourself in a works mentality. I'm going to do this for all these hours, then God will compensate with this. Or I'm going to give all this, and then God will compensate. Or I'm going to lay down my life this way, and then God will compensate. You don't do it for that. Reinhard Bunke, which is considered the Billy Graham of, uh, of, of, uh, of Europe, he was talking about he was being very transparent at a pastor's conference. One time he said how he had a huge conference uh, crusade like we saw up here with Christopher Alaman. And the first night he said, I had an altar call for healing and we're praying for people and going down, laying hands on people, praying for them, be healed in Jesus' name, be healed in Jesus' name, be healed in Jesus' name, be healed in Jesus' name. And then he heard the Holy Spirit say to him, what are you doing? And Reinhard Bonnke said, what do you mean, what am I doing? He said, yeah, he said, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm praying for people. Why? Why are you praying for them? Now, hear me, because he was transparent enough to share this. He said what he realized, he was praying for people, not because he was feeling compassionate and so forth for them. He was praying for people because many times what happens in these crusades, they start off with small numbers, then they have miracle healings, and then the next night the crowd grows. And in his mind, crowd's growing crowd's growing. The crowd is growing. The crowd is growing. Works mentality. A works mentality. You have to be very careful. You want to, you want to stay in a realm of grace, celebrating the fact that Jesus shed his blood for you, and to continue to have faith in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Never, ever get yourself over into a works mentality. It can be ever so subtle. Ever so subtle. Just let God love you. Accept your sacred value. Keep reflecting your sacred reflection, the love of God, the joy of God, the peace of God. It's okay. God loves you. I'm not saying don't pray for people, but don't think you have to work yourself up to be some type of super Christian human to, you know, to, for, for, and then God owes you. Just follow God. You're justified. You've been set free. You are of sacred value right now. Love on God. Amen? Let that become a reality. And all the yeah, buts, all the oppositional thoughts that come up into your mind, just put them down. Just settle them down. Settle them down. No, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Sin, sin has been removed. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a child of God. You're no longer a sinner. You're a child of God. Amen.
just close your eyes for a moment, reflect on that just for a moment. And perhaps you are here today and say, well, Pastor Ray, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not so sure I'm a child of God. Uh, uh, what do you do to become a child of God? Well, that's a great question. And it's a very uh, simple answer. It's a powerful but very simple answer. Uh, I quoted the verse earlier in John 3, 16. It says that God so loved us. He so loved the whole world that whoever believed on him would not perish. Notice we would not spend eternity out of dwelling with him, but we spend eternity dwelling with him as we believe in him. So you believe that Jesus is the son of God. You believe that God loved you. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. The Bible tells us that if you believe that in your heart and you, you confess that, you accept that as truth, and you ask him to come into your life, he comes into your life and you become born again. Sin is removed. Jesus has taken it from you and he's given you his justification and his righteousness. So with eyes closed, just for a moment, and if you're watching online this morning, I just encourage you to pray this with me. Say, Father, I thank you that sin has been removed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I make a choice to receive you as my personal Savior today. Remove all of my sin and make me a brand new creation. Thank you, Father, for loving me and providing for me and choosing to dwell with me from this day on. Amen. Amen. Praise God. If you prayed that for your first time this morning and you're here, let one of us know before you leave here. And if you're online and you prayed that with us, make sure you get online and, and uh, on, on our website and contact us and let us know that we want to rejoice together with you.